Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She was troubled at his saying. Why was she troubled at his saying? Well, if moms, if a man comes into your house and begins by saying, blessed are you highly favored one. You are probably wondering, what manner of greeting is this, right? What do you want from me? What, what are you trying to, trying to get here, right? Blessed. I use that phrase all the time in our house. Blessed are you, Amber. <laughs> Highly favored one. The angel says in verse 30, well, verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Notice there that she was troubled at his saying, not at the angel. It's interesting to me. It makes me wonder how many other angelic encounters had Mary had at this point in time. Everybody else that has an angel encounter, the first thing they have to tell him is, don't be afraid. I know I'm an angel. Don't, don't be terrified. But to Mary, he says, it says that she was afraid at his saying, not at him walking into the room. It's just interesting. I wonder how many times she had been visited by angels in her life. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will greet or he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the son of God. Whoa. <laughs> now indeed Elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren for with God nothing will be impossible then Mary said behold the maidservant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her verse 30 said again that the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Why did Gabriel have to tell Mary not to yield to her fear? I want to make sure that we don't overlook the weight of what the angel is asking of Mary in this moment. 
Mary is at this moment betrothed. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, weddings back in those days were a little different because the engagement was actually as much a part of the wedding of the marriage as was the wedding ceremony. That when they became engaged in those days, they signed a premarital contract that said in that moment that the woman was property, was owned basically by the man. So the only way out of the engagement was actually divorce. Right? This isn't a J-Lo movie where she gets engaged and falls in love with somebody else and just, just breaks off the engagement. Right, It wasn't that easy. She had to actually, be, and, and she couldn't actually do the divorcing. Only the man could do the divorce. So by this point in time, she was already committed, not just engaged. She was committed as she would be in a marriage committed. And now she has been found to be pregnant in the middle of the engagement. So she, she's already married. So she's in, she's in, um, she's, she's seeing the possibility now that she could lose her fiance, which wasn't just the man that she was in love with. In fact, most of those times, most of the time when uh, marriages were arranged in those days, and it was more for the benefit of their security, the woman's security. So not only would she be losing her fiance, she would be losing her financial stability. She'd be losing her security and her safety. She would be looked at and treated as a harlot. Look at how they treated the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight, I believe. The woman was caught in adultery and the Pharisees, the religious leaders brought her before the people and they were willing and wanting to stone her for her, her adultery. She would have been looked at as one who had committed adultery and she would have been treated as one, which means at the most extreme, she was facing the death penalty. The baby itself would be looked at as a disgrace would be looked at as illegitimate and would be treated that way as he grew up. So there's a lot more at stake here than just carrying a baby boy. She's literally looking at losing everything, her fiance, her reputation, her child's reputation for his entire life. All of those things. And like I said, even in most ext in extreme cases, she's even possibly looking at being stoned for this gift that the angel is, is telling her. So why does the angel say, do not be afraid? The angel saying, don't be afraid of the consequences that may come in this moment. In verse 38, Mary's response was, behold, your maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's answer was yes. She had no idea. Listen, she had no idea that Joseph would still marry her. Gabriel, notice he, Gabriel doesn't tell her, listen, don't worry. 
I'm going to go to Joseph next and let him know what's going on, right? He, she, she, and he does do that. He goes to Joseph, visits him in the dream, explains the whole thing to Joseph because Joseph did find out she was pregnant and was about to put her away quietly. But instead the angel comes and tells him and, and smooths it all over. But listen, Gabriel didn't tell her that. Gabriel didn't tell her that everything was going to be all right. He just said, do not fear. And, and, and Mary's answer was still, yes, dad's in the room. Let me ask you a question. If your wife, or I'm sorry, if, if your daughter came to you and said, dad, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. Don't worry. It was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I might be getting in some trouble soon. Gabriel didn't promise her that everybody was going to believe her. He didn't promise her that he was going to visit the entire town and say, hey, don't worry, this is the Holy Spirit, right? But she said yes anyways. She said yes anyways. Mary said yes, this teenage girl with everything to lose, but everything to gain. Everything to lose, but everything to gain. She said yes. You know, in our culture, we want everything with as little inconvenience as possible, don't we? Right? I, I preached on this passage before, and I think the last time I preached on this passage, I told you that we had bought these little plug-in devices that go into the wall, and you plug in your lights or different things into, and then you can control them with your phone, right? So now I don't even have to flip a light switch anymore. I can just press a button on my phone to turn my lights on and off. I could be anywhere in the world, I don't need to be. I don't, I mean, if I'm in Kokomo, I don't need to turn my lights off in my living room. But listen, I can do it if I want to, right? Now we've upgraded. Now we've got Alexa. So now I don't even have to get on my phone. I just walk into a room and I say, Alexa, turn the living room lights on. And guess what happens? The lights come on. It's amazing, right? You know, I have to help Malachi with his homework all the time, and I am terrible at math. Fourth grade math, I'm terrible at it. But it, Alexa saves the day, right? <laughs> Malachi's like, hey, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, I got you, bud. Hey, Alexa, what's 46 times whatever, you know? I'm a terrible speller. I've got a Google in my, in my office, a little Google Dot. And so when I'm preparing my messages, I'll come across a word I'm trying to figure out. I'm, I don't know how to spell it. So I say, hey, Google, I don't get out a dictionary. Hey, Google, how do I spell supercalifragilistic? You know, whatever. And she tells me, right, as little inconvenience as possible. In our room, we have a clock that projects the time onto the ceiling. So that way in the middle of the night, I don't have to turn my head. <laughs> to see what time it is. <laughs> we want everything with as little inconvenience as possible. Listen, we want to be used by God in incredible ways. We want the glory of walking in his presence. We want the glory of seeing lives change. We want the glory of being able to walk in his will. But how many of us are willing to pay the sacrifices? to do his will. And listen, there will be sacrifices. There will be sacrifices. 
There's other, uh, all throughout the Bible, you see these sacrifices. Look at Joseph. Joseph was promised to live in the palace, but he was still imprisoned. David was promised the kingdom to rule Israel, to rule the kingdom. Yet he had to run from cave to cave, hiding, fearing his own life. You've got, you've got others throughout the Bible. You've got, let me find some here. You've got John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner for the Messiah and had to pay for it with his head. Peter was the rock on which the church would stand, yet was crucified upside down. Paul was given the greatest revelation the world had ever seen and was used as a lamp to light Nero's garden. Jesus, the son of God himself, paid the ultimate price by hanging on a tree. Don't let anyone lie to you and say that being a Christian comes without sacrifices. Hebrews 12, chapter one tells us of a great cloud of witnesses, right? A great cloud of witnesses that all paid the ultimate price for following Jesus, for following God and advancing his kingdom and saying yes, as Mary did. You know, I read a quote earlier this week that totally, that just completely resonated with me. It said this, it says, we say the safest place to be is in God's will. How many of you heard that statement? I know you have because I've said it, right? <laughs> the safest place to be is to be in the center of God's will. And that can be comforting, but it's also misleading. I just gave you example after example of people who were in the middle of God's will and paid the ultimate price for being in the middle of God's will. Jesus was in the middle of God's will and still died on a cross. So being in the middle of God's will may not be the safest place, but I do want to say this, being in the center of God's will is the place you'll find the most fulfillment. It's the place you'll find the most satisfaction. It's the place you'll find the most um, significance. And it's the place you'll find your true self. Amen. When we say yes, it may come with great sacrifice, but it will also come with the reward that makes the sacrifice not a sacrifice at all. Amen? It'll make the sacrifice seem like not a sacrifice at all. Tell Joseph, tell Joseph that it was too much of a sacrifice, that the prison wasn't worth it as he's standing in the palace. Tell David that the years running for his life were not worth it when Yahweh promises him that the Messiah would come through his kingly bloodline. Tell Peter that the price of his life is too high as he hears Jesus forgive his denial and declare his love for him. Tell Mary that the cost is too much as she is holding the king of the world in her arms. The yes may come with sacrifices, but the reward, the reward makes the sacrifice seem so, so terribly insignificant. Amen. The story goes on in Luke chapter two. It says that there was a census being taken. And so Mary and Joseph started traveling to Jerusalem. 
or to Bethlehem for the census. And they get to Bethlehem and they begin looking around for a room and there's no room for them, right? There's no place for them to stay. So they end up in a small stable to stay the night. While they're in the stable, Mary gives birth to Jesus, gives birth to Emmanuel, God with us. As she's there that night, the the giving birth, the angels, a host of angels, it says, comes and visits the shepherds that are in the field nearby and tells them that the King of Kings, the Lord Most High, has been born this night. And they tell, the angels tell them where the Messiah is. And so when the angels leave, the, the, the shepherds race into town and they find where Jesus had just been born and they go into the place and they see there with their very own eyes, the son of God that was born that night in the arms of Mary. And they're just absolutely awestruck. They're absolutely amazed at what they see. And they get to be the very first ones, the very first people to hear the news that Emmanuel had finally come, that the Messiah that had been promised for thousands and thousands of years had finally showed up on earth and they get to see him with their very own eyes. But eventually, eventually the night ended and they begin walking out the door. And as they leave, it says that they told everybody that they passed what they had seen, that the Messiah had been born, that they had seen the Messiah. And as they headed back to their sheep, Mary got to stay in the stable, holding the King of Kings. A little bit later, the Magi, come from the East. And many scholars believe that despite all of our extremely accurate Christmas stories that we share, that they didn't come the night Jesus was born. Most scholars believe that they came about two years later. So the Magi come from the East. They hear about the Messiah that is born and they want to see him for their very own eyes. So they travel from afar and they end up there in Mary and Joseph's house and they walk in and they see this two-year-old little boy running around the room, the promised Messiah. And they come and they bring gifts of frankincense, gold and myrrh, and they lavish them upon the Savior Jesus. And like I said, he's two at this time, so maybe they hung out for a while, chasing him around the room, playing hide and go seek. Maybe they let him wear their hats. You know, the hats that are in all the Christmas stories. Maybe they let Jesus try on their crowns and their big fluffy hats with the gems on them that we, that we all wore, you know, in the Christmas programs. Maybe they let him try those on and they spend the day just hanging out with this two-year-old little boy that is the king of the world. But eventually they got to go back to their homeland and so they say their final goodbyes and as they're walking out the door, I can just imagine them looking back one last time to see the Messiah that was promised. And they walk out the door and head back home. But Mary, Mary stayed behind and tucked that little two-year-old boy that was tired from the day, from hanging out with the Magi. They tucked him into bed. She tucked him into bed and kissed his cheeks goodnight. Several years later, they're traveling, Mary, Joseph, and, and Jesus, and the rest of the family all travel to Jerusalem 
for the feast. Um, what is the feast? They traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. Jesus at this time, as Miss Jackie shared earlier, Jesus was 12 years old. And they traveled to the feast and they did all the festivities. And the tent came time that the feast was over and they began packing their bags and heading home. And Mary and Joseph thought that Jesus was hanging out with his cousins and in another place on another part of the caravan. So they take off. About halfway home, they realize, uh-oh, we lost the Son of God. That's probably not a good thing. We had one job. <laughs> And so they run back terrified that they've lost Jesus. They go into the synagogue and they see Jesus in there with the religious leaders discussing theology, discussing the Torah. And the scholars and the religious leaders are all just amazed at this 12-year-old little boy who has never learned about Torah, reciting Torah to them and telling them revelations, things that they had never known and never learned. And they were amazed at this young boy and were in wonder at who he was and how brilliant he was. But eventually, they had to say goodbye to Jesus as Mary and Joseph set him on their donkey and traveled home. And I can imagine the conversations that they had on the way home, how Jesus was telling them like, hey, you should have seen me with this guy, right? Like he thought he knew what this meant, but I, you know, and I could see the conversations they had with Jesus on the way home, things that are not recorded in our scripture, conversations they got to have with Jesus. Fast forward several more years, Jesus becomes an adult. And him and Mary go to the wedding of Cana to celebrate this marriage ceremony with one of their relatives. The party planner messed up and didn't calculate the right amount of wine he needed to be able to serve his guests. And so Mary taps Jesus on the shoulder and says, hey, Mary, or hey, Jesus, why don't you do something about this? And Jesus looks at her and she's, he's like, mom, it's, it's not my time. I, I just don't think I can do it. And, and Mary was like, boy, <laughs> you're still my son. And I'm telling you to make some wine, right? So Jesus performs his first ever public miracle, turns water into wine. And everybody at the wedding was amazed at Jesus and his ability and his, his, his ability to work such incredible miracles. But eventually Jesus and Mary left the party. And I could see Jesus and Mary at home reclining at the table as they're laughing and discussing the reactions of the crowd when Jesus turned the water into wine. Mary got to experience things none of us, none of us will have ever been able to know or have never been able to see. But I want to ask you something. What would have happened if Mary said no? What would have happened if Gabriel came and said, Mary, I have this incredible opportunity and it's, it's really heavy and there's going to be a lot of sacrifice. People may never look at you the same, but I have this incredible opportunity for you to carry and be the mother of the Messiah. What would have happened if Mary would have said, Gabriel, tell God that 
I'm really honored. But there's just too much of a sacrifice. And I'm just going to, I'm going to have to pass on this. What would have happened if Mary said no? My guess is she probably still would have gone on with her plans and married Joseph. That they would have had kids together. That they would have had a fairly successful carpentry business and done well and lived a mostly happy, ordinary Jewish life. My guess is God still would have accomplished everything he wanted to through Jesus, through somebody else. But Mary would have missed the opportunity to raise the son of God and see him become a man. Mary would have missed that opportunity. You know, there's literally no one in the history of the world that knows Jesus better than Mary did. There's literally no one that knows Jesus better than Mary did. I told Amber a while back, I told her that if I could meet anyone in the Bible except for Jesus, set him aside, he's an obvious. If I could meet anyone else in the Bible, I think I would want to meet Mary. Peter would be cool. Paul would be cool. All of those other Bible cares, they'd be awesome. But literally no one knew Jesus better than what Mary got to know Jesus. What would have happened though if Mary would have said no? She would have missed all of those things. And I want to tell you this this morning. You can keep on saying no to what God is asking of you. I know that it's a major sacrifice. So go ahead. You can keep on saying no. Luke 14, 28 actually advises us. It says, the builder never starts a project without first weighing the cost. Maybe right now God is asking you to do something and you are weighing the cost and you are seeing the weight of that, of what he's asking you to do. You're seeing the cost. And listen, you can say no and you'll probably still live a quiet, comfortable, normal life. You can say no, and I still believe you'll go to heaven and you'll get to spend eternity with Jesus as you have accepted him in your heart. You can still say no to what God is asking you to do. And listen, if you say no, it'll probably save yourself. You'll probably save yourself a lot of heartache. You'll save yourself a whole lot of stress. You'll save yourself disappointment. You may be able to save yourself some long nights. And listen, you won't make any enemies and everybody will like you. So you can go ahead and say no, but I want to ask you something. If you say yes, what would happen? If you would say yes to what he's asking of you, what kind of destiny could be birthed on the inside of you? If you would say yes to what he's asking you, what kind of adventure might he take you on? Yeah, there may be some difficult times that happen. There may be some sacrifices you may have to make and some of them may be little, some of them may be huge sacrifices. You may even have people that will not like you because of what you're doing and disagree with you and come against you. But I wanna ask you something, what could happen 
if you said yes? What would happen if you said yes? My guess is that the reward for your yes would far outweigh the consequences from the sacrifices. My guess is that the yes, the yes would propel you on an adventure, would would send you on a path of fulfillment and satisfaction that would be so great that it would make the sacrifices seem so incredibly insignificant. What would happen if you said yes? What legacy will you be able to leave your kids because of your yes? What intimacy with the Father can you experience in your yes? What lives could be changed because of your yes? Once again, you can go on saying no. The rich young ruler did, didn't he? He was given an opportunity to follow Jesus. An invitation in the Bible only given to 12 other men. He was given the invitation to follow Jesus and he weighed the cost and saw that he would have to give up his treasures and his earthly possessions in order to follow Jesus. And he said, the cost is too much. And he walked away and he said, no. Now listen, He may have, we don't know the rest of his story. Maybe after Jesus had died and was raised from the dead and the gospel was being spread, maybe he heard the disciples share the gospel and maybe he came to know Jesus and he eventually did say yes. But I want to ask you something. What did he miss because he said no? What did he miss because he said no? He missed Lazarus being raised from the dead. He missed seeing He missed seeing blind Bartimaeus, his eyes restored. He missed hearing the whispers from Jesus, the revelation that was only given to the 12 and nobody else. He missed being in the room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given and tongues as a fire rested upon them and they began speaking in languages that they previously didn't know. He missed all of that. He probably lived a really comfortable life. But because he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice, he missed the Son of God, walking with the Son of God in the flesh. What is on the other side of your yes? What is on the other side of your yes? Amen. I don't know about you, But I have decided that to the best of my ability, I want to spend my life with a yes on my lips every time God the Father asks something of me. Every time he speaks, every time he asks me to do something, I want there to be a continual, emphatic yes on my lips. And sure, there's going to be times where I falter. There's going to be times where I may stumble. There's going to be times where I look at the costs and feel overwhelmed by them. But to the best of my abilities, I want to walk this earth with a yes on my lips. And my prayer for you today is this, that you would walk all of your days with a yes on your lips. 
that we would walk in obedience to the Father, just as Mary did. That Mary looked at the high cost, but then she looked. She looked at the significance and the gift that she was being given to Father, the Savior of the world. And she said yes to it.